You know what? I can be feeling the worst I've ever felt, and yet something clicks off inside me. Do you know what? The joy of the Lord has got nothing to do with your emotion. The joy of the Lord has nothing to do with your circumstance. It is constant, 24-7. It's a well inside you. You're just going to tap into it by faith. Praise the Lord anyway. Shout to the Lord anyway. Laugh anyway. <laughs> Amen. And to hell with the devil. Anyway, Rick Godwin. Did you like Rick Godwin when he came here? Yeah, he was one of my finest Bible students in my Bible class. When he was there, that's a joke. Anyway, so listen, title of the message, are you ready? For, are, you gonna, are you ready to lean in to something that will change your life forever? And I, uh, you know, praying about um, this visit, I, I, I always ask the Lord, I say, Lord, which way do you want me to go? And today, I'm, I'm going to be preaching three different messages. I preached a different message uh, in the first service, but the... But the, uh, the heart of God in all of them is the same somehow. There's like a thread that's going through, through them. And he just loves people. And uh, the title of the message is Remember the Duck. If you remember nothing else I've said, you will remember the duck. Because Susie and Johnny were brother and sister. And they went on holiday to their grandmother's farm for two weeks. And Johnny, uh, he fancied himself as a slingshot expert, but he was useless. He could never hit anything. So he got to the farm, and he spied his grandmother's pet duck. So he thought, let's have a go to see if I can hit this duck, right? So he took aim. He said, I'm not going to hit it anyway. So he, hit, he, he shot the, the stone and hit the duck on the head, and he killed the duck. Dead. That duck was dead. And he panicked. The dead was duck. The duck was dead. The duck. So the duck was just no quacking. He's there. Nothing. So he panicked. So he buries the duck, right? Only to look up to see that his sister was watching him. Because that's what sisters were created to do. So that evening, they went in, had supper, and they were washing up. And, uh, and the grandmother said, Susie, would you help me with the washing of the dishes tonight? Oh, yes, grandmother. And uh, actually, Johnny said to me that he would like to do the dishes every night for the two weeks that he's here. He actually said, and she whispered in Johnny's ear, remember the duck. <laughs> so Johnny was at the sink every night, washing up the dishes. And, and after about four or five days, he said, I'm fed up with this. I, I, I'm going to confess to my grandmother, anything's better than washing the dishes. So he goes to his grandmother, red-faced, and he said, Grandmother, you know your pet duck? Oh, yes. Well, I shot the duck, and I buried it in a garden. I killed it, and I'm very sorry. And she smiled at him. She said, Johnny, I know. I was watching from the window. She said, I've already forgiven you. I was wondering how long you were going to allow Susie to make a slave out of you. And when I travel around the world and minister to God's people, you know what? There are so many Christians 
who have been forgiven, but they are still living enslaved to guilt because Satan is whispering in your ear, remember the deck. How many Christians here today have already been forgiven past, present, and future sin, but live enslaved to guilt as Satan whispers in their ear, remember that abortion. Remember that sexual sin. Remember that attempted suicide. Remember that sin as a Christian. And you know what? The Bible calls the devil the accuser of the brethren. He doesn't accuse people who are not Christians. He's already got them by the scruff of their neck. What he wants to do is to, is to stop lovers of Jesus filled with the Holy Ghost finding out that they are actually forgiven and loved 24-7 in spite of their failure, in spite of their sin. Come on, somebody. Better say amen here. Come on, let's give the Lord a big hand clap. So, 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 so Satan continually whispers in Christians' ears, remember the duck. And, and here's the reason. You see, he's convincing you not only, you know, not only are you a bad Christian, but by whispering continually, remember the duck, he is placing a fear in your heart because you're afraid now that somehow God's going to judge you for what you did. So you live enslaved. You can't serve Jesus in the way that you want to because this, this voice is whispering in your ear. And then this fear of judgment also adds to the weight that you're carrying, and it seems like that you are straight-jacketed. Man, you know what? The Bible is so relevant. The Bible is amazing because 2,000 years ago, right, our brothers and sisters who are now in heaven also lived with the same problem. And when, you know, th there's a reason why the guys, the guys in the Bible wrote it. Now, this is interesting. They didn't know they were writing it at the time. When Paul was in prison, he didn't know that he was writing the New Testament. So the Apostle John, in his epistle, an epistle is a female apostle. That's a crap joke, isn't it? But anyway, but so John in his epistle, I know, I know, get the sick bags out. I don't care. Listen, but when John was writing to the early Christians, like John would be standing here and he would be saying exactly this. In fact, he is. Because whenever we read the Bible, the words that were spoken to these Christians thousands of years ago are still applicable for us today. So, so he knew there were thousands of believers being hampered by the accuser, remember the duck. So he wrote these words to them. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 17 and 18, because he knew this was the problem. So this is what he said. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid. He's talking to Christians who are afraid of when they died, God's going to judge them because of what they did. Are you still with me here? 
It's like, you know, when I was a young Christian, I was taught, when you get to heaven, the first thing you will see is a video of your life. All the idle words you've spoken. <laughs> I couldn't wait to get to heaven. I said, oh, Lord, keep me alive as long as I can. I do not want to get there to see that video. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we're like Jesus. Now watch this. Now John is saying, the problem is, the reason why you're giving in to the accuser and the reason why you are afraid of judgment is because you've not been established, you don't understand the love of Jesus for you. It's just a theological concept. He says, because uh, perfect love expels the fear of judgment, basically. If we are afraid, it is because of fear of punishment. And he says, it's a symptom. If you're living like this, here's the reason why. It shows that you've not fully experienced his perfect love. Uh, and I'm, you know, I'm 30 years of age and I, you know, I, 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 I know scripture and I've been around a long time and I know Jesus. But I'm telling you now, I still can't grasp his amazing love for me. Uh, and so, uh, so I'm going to show you something this morning that uh, or this afternoon or whatever or this Wednesday, whatever, day, uh, whatever I am here in Stuttgart. I want to say I want to say. I want to say, what I'm going to share with you is a revelation, okay, that absolutely changed my whole life. And so, and, and so uh, John is writing, says, I want to, you, listen to me carefully. You see, there are so much religious, te- there's so much religious junk that I believed. Like, for instance, like I, used to, I used to say, the Holy Spirit has just convicted me of my sin. It, that, 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 that is a religious statement for a believer. The Holy Spirit, according to Jesus, he said, when I go away, I'm going to send somebody just like me. And actually, he said, if I don't go away, the Holy Spirit, the advocate, will not come. Now watch this. An advocate fights for you, not prosecutes you. The Holy Spirit is not in a believer's life to convict him of his sin, but to convince us we are loved in spite of it. Come on, somebody, say amen right here. This may be basic stuff. But, 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 we, but if we don't get it, see, like, like Joseph Prince says, right believing produces right behavior. And so, and so we think because of our behavior, God is going to judge us. And so we get on this treadmill of religion. Now watch this. When the angel of death passed through the streets of Egypt, this was like a long time ago, okay? Um, uh, he was given one instruction by God. He says, when you pass through the streets of Egypt, you will come to a house. And if they have placed blood on the doorposts and the lintels. The people inside have, have, have believed what I've said. And I've told them, if they, if they sacrifice a lamb and put blood on the outside and stay inside the house, when the angel of death, he'll pass over you. 
il passo over judgment because you believe somebody else has paid the price for your sin. So the angel of death would come and he'd look and he'd see the house with blood on the doorpost and he would say, oh, pass over. He, he, he didn't stop and say, no, this is too easy. I'm going to go inside to check how they behaved last week. It's got nothing to do with our behavior, good, bad, or ugly. It's got everything to do with the fact that we believe Jesus loves us and has forgiven us. Come on. Somebody say amen right here. And, um, you know, Mark mentioned it this morning. The, uh, the one word, the one adjective for me that blows my mind when it comes to the love of God is, is the fact that it's unconditional. And the reason why religion works is because, see, religion needs two elements to work. It needs an angry deity and a guilty conscience. That's why religion is successful across the world. And when I say religion, I don't mean some organization. It's an essay. It's a principle. An angry God. We've got to appease an angry God. So we try to appease an angry God. We miserably fail. We get a guilty conscience. And on the treadmill we go. Come on, somebody say, that is not Christianity. Religion died on a cross 2,000 years ago. And life came out of the tomb when Jesus was resurrected. So, so religion, the most effective weapon used in religion is remember the duck. Hmm. Are you still with me here? You know, Satan can even use God's word to make you feel bad. You know, 1 Corinthians 13 describes the love that we should have one for another. Okay, so, well, that's what I thought. Love is patient, love is kind. And, you know, you go to marriage seminars and husbands sit there and they're done after the love is patient. So, so then they beat themselves up and we try to be patient and try to be... Listen to me. Listen to me. First Corinthians 13. See, we measure our love by that standard and we fail miserably. And then it's remember the duck for like a few years. Listen to me carefully. Uh, when you read 1 Corinthians 13, this is not a description of how uh, we should love God or how we should love one another. This is a description of how God loves us. Now the result will be we will, the, the love. Do you know what? God even gives us the love to love him back. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. I've tried it. I have nearly had a nervous breakdown. I cannot do that. But my Bible tells me he has supernaturally shed his love into my heart so that I can love him back. Come on, if you're going to give him a clap, give him a good clap. You see, watch this. Under law. Under the old covenant, love was commanded. That's why nobody could do it. But under the new covenant, love is supplied. His grace has supplied the very love that we are to love him back. Aren't you glad that 1 Corinthians 13 is a description of how God loves 
Aren't you glad that he's patient with you? Aren't you glad that he's long-suffering with you? And I've taken you on this journey to say this one thing. Aren't you glad, according to the description of the love of God in 1 Corinthians 13, that his love, watch, keeps no record of wrongs. Now, hang on to your hat. I'm going to share with you something with you here. You, you'll, get, uh, you'll get so excited, you'll eat the person in front of you. <laughs> Ladies, this will cause hair to grow on your chest. I'm telling you now, this is so, this is, this is amazing, okay? Now watch this. If there's anyone in the Bible that illustrates what I've just said, it's the first woman in the Bible, Rachel. Well, in my Bible, I, some people say it was Eve, but in the Welsh, but that was another joke. Anyway, so Eve, the first woman in the Bible, Eve, okay? Now watch this. What a legacy of having a name like Eve's life giver and being the means whereby Satan, through her, brought death into the world. Imagine her sense of disgust. Put yourself in her shoes. Imagine her sense of disgust when she realized what she had done. Imagine her sense of horror as she saw her paradise turned into a hell. Imagine the sense of panic as strange emotions never before experienced, began to dance on her soul. Loneliness and what is this? Guilt. What is, what is uh, fear? Uh, guilt. Imagine how she must have felt. And imagine the sense of devastation as she saw her two sons' lives disintegrate. Before her eyes, one a murderer, the other one a victim. Watch this, and it's all her fault. My God. And you're beating yourself up. When I read that, I'm thinking, I mean, some of you messed up pretty badly. I haven't, but you have, okay? Some of you, some of you, are, as a Christian, you've done some bad things. Well, not me, but you have. And uh, think of Eve. Her sin is preached somewhere in the world every Sunday. How would you like any volunteers? Come on, share your dirty laundry. And let's preach about it next Sunday, shall we? Give me a break. Eve's sin is preached about. Man. But you know what? Oh. Oh, time is gone. Next time I come, I'll finish this story. Now listen, I love that. I love it. I love it. Are you with me here? Are you with me? Watch this now. But amidst all the devastation, grace somehow keeps hope alive. It seems as if in amidst all the devastation, God's always got a promise for your future. And do you know, in all the devastation, do you know what God said? Do you know what God, God said to the serpent? Eve overheard it. And, and this is what he said. He, he said. he said, her seed 
one day is going to smash your face in. Her seed. And you know what? Those words flooded back to her when all hope disappeared with the tragedy of her sons. She's thinking, my seed, how can God bless me after what I've done? And so Cain and Abel were born and, and, and that tragedy happened. And she says, how can this promise come to pass? And God has given you a promise in the midst of the devastation, in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your tragedy. God, God, I, I, I guarantee it. God has given you a promise. And, uh, and right now you're thinking, but, 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 but Ray, it's got worse. How on earth can God fulfill this promise? And Eve must have said, how can this promise come to pass? I don't deserve a second chance. But God gave her a promise that didn't match the situation. <laughs> because that's what grace does. It gives you a promise that doesn't match your failure. That's what grace does. In other words, the Bible puts it like this. Where sin abounds, grace does super abound. Up to now, everything that has come out of Eve's womb has been a mess. Everything that's come out of her has been a mess. So what do you do when you've tried and you failed and you want to quit? And I, I don't know about you, but I've wanted to quit many times. Many times. I've wanted to quit, give up, go to a desert island somewhere with some coconuts. And some reggae music. And a pina colada. And I don't like people. <laughs> and don't look at me so holy. So, come on, man. Am I talking to some real people in this house? You know, what do you do? What do you do when you've had a promise that you've done your best and you keep messing it up and you keep, and you think, what? You know what I mean? What do you, what do, you do when you want to give up because trying again means hurting again? Especially in relationships. Someone said relationships are a walk in a park. Yeah, Jurassic Park. And judging by that response. <laughs> oh. oh, you want to give up? Because trying means hurting again. It means risking again. It means believing again. It means hoping again. And sometimes you just had enough of, of, of just trying that. And some of you here have survived the tragedy. You're on the other side of the mess. But something inside has died in the process. Life has cost you so much that some of you are living on an emotional overdraft. And some of you are maybe even still in your teens. But, some, but you know what? I talked to some teenagers today. They, they've lived more of life than sometimes a 60-year-old. Life has cost you so much. But God has sent this little hobbit from the Shire today to remind you the same words that he said to Eve, the same words that we sang, 
Even though you want to give up on yourself, God says to you, I'm not finished with you yet. Do I have some believers in the house right here? I'm not finished with you yet. Now, I'm going to make this statement. I write my messages out very, very carefully with, because, because the, the, the sentences, the words that God gave me, gives me in the study, I don't rely on my memory. You know, sometimes I can't remember people I've known for 40 years. Man, I, the, the pastor who runs the church, church now, I've known him since he was 14. He's taken the church over. So I'm preaching one day, and I said, like I was saying to... Um, to um, I couldn't remember his name. Listen, so I write it down. I write it down. Watch this. Watch this. God is saying to those of you that can relate to Eve. <sighs> you frightened the life out of me then. I thought it was an angel. Yeah. Can I have a couple of minutes here? I'm not, are we all right for time? Are we? I, I, oh, listen, I'll go quick. God, God is saying this to you. He says, I'm going to supernaturally, I'm going to supernaturally restore what your failure killed. Genesis chapter 4, verse 25 to 26. Let's go through this quick. This is great. Look at this. This is, what he, this is Eve. We'll go back to Eve. And Adam knew his wife again. There's always an again with God. Watch this. Oh, hey. oh the best is yet to come. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and named him Seth. Watch. For God has appointed another seed. You know, that promise did not work out with Cain and Abel, but it didn't phase God. He says, don't worry, Eve, because I am going to fulfill my promise. Whatever you do, I'm faithful. When you are unfaithful, I remain faithful. And he said, God has appointed another seed for me instead of Abel, whom Cain killed. Do you know what the word Seth means? The word Seth means compensation. Now what? Oh, listen now. Watch this. The birth of Seth not only gave Eve a new start, but God actually eradicated her sinful past. She would no longer live with remember the deck. She would live with remember my grace. Now watch this. Oh, do you know what God begins to do for Eve? rewrite her history do you know that God can rewrite your history what, 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 how can he do that because he's God so watch this so this is the genealogy of Eve before the disaster Genesis 4 verse 1 now Adam knew his wife Eve she conceived bore Cain and said I've acquired a man from the Lord then she bore again this time his brother Abel and Abel was a keeper so that was now we all know that messed up so what are you going to do now God oh I'll just start again in Genesis 5 one chapter later this is the genealogy of Eve after the disaster okay what's this Genesis 5, this is the book of the genealogy of Adam. Hold on, God, you said that in the last chapter. This is when I'm, I'm having this conversation. That not, look, God, you said that in the last chapter. He said, Ray, shut up. I'm God. I write the book, okay? 
this is the book of the genealogy of Adam. In the day that man, God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created the male and female, blessed them, called them. And Adam lived 130 years and begot a son in his own likeness after his own image and named him Seth. Where's Cain and Abel? I said, Lord, what's going on here? He said, Ray, the genealogy through Eve did not finish with the tragedy of Cain and Abel. But from my perspective, it starts with Seth. It always starts with Seth. And when Eve's critics would rise up and say, hey, man, you were the cause of all this mess. Look what happened with Cain and Abel. You, you, you. And Eve, with tears running down her face, wouldn't argue with them, say, yeah, you may be right. But she would hold Seth up in her arms, and she would say, my genealogy is not seeded in the consequences of my failure, but it's seeded in the soil of God's mercy. And I declare to you, your genealogy is not seeded in the consequences of your failure, but it's seeded in the, in the soil of God's mercy and God's grace. God's grace dismantles the gallows. This God's grace disarms the executioner. God's grace dismisses the firing squad because in judgment, God remembers mercy. I'm nearly through. But some of you are standing in the middle of a war zone created by your own choices. Wondering, can anything good come out of this? And the hopelessness you feel because you cannot go back like Eve and turn the clock back. Like Eve, God says to you, your genealogy is not seeded in your failure, but in my mercy. Now, I'm getting to the punchline here. Because God said to Eve, and he says to you, he says, not only have I forgiven you of your sin, but as far as heaven is concerned, I've eradicated the fact that it ever took place. Now that's beyond belief. And you know what? Here's the proof. He put it in black and white in Eve's life to encourage you that he wants to do the same. Last two scriptures. I was reading Luke chapter 3, the boring genealogy chapter. And I'm reading it. This is like a rap, a rap thing. It's like, you know, Luke chapter 3, verse 23. Uh, now, Jesus began his ministry and is the son of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of Matthew, the son of... It's boring. What's the point? Until I got to the end. Until I got to verse 37, 38. The genealogy of Jesus. And he did this for Eve, too. The son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalalal
See, it's truth that sets you free. I don't know, I can't see everybody, but I'm sure there are tears flowing down somebody's face here. If you can understand the grace of God, you don't understand it. You don't. And you are loved. And stop beating you. Remember the duck? Tell him to push off with this revelation. So every time he says, remember the duck, Jesus says, come around the table and remember me. Do this in remembrance of me. When you take communion, it's on a place of judgment. When you take communion, the devil is saying, you're not worthy. You're not worthy. You know, remember the duck. Jesus said, now, when you come around the table, remember me.